because it's easy to get intimidated. You're like, all right, we're, we're going after this huge list of leads. Where do we start? We need these systems. Everything's got to be perfect. But that wasn't the case. It was yeah. like, all right, what are the activities that our acquisitions team needs to be doing to start getting that ball rolling? As long as we can say you're doing the right things, as long as our team is doing the right things, we know that it'll come. But it's really frustrating when you're like, I'm doing the right things, but we're now five, six months and I don't have a deal. It takes time to get that flywheel to move. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Self Storage Income Podcast. My name is Yen and I am the producer of this podcast. Let me just hop on here and say thanks for listening. We really appreciate those of you who are tuning in every week and are leaving us the reviews and the comments. Y'all are awesome. In this episode, we have a guest that you might actually have heard before here on the podcast. He's a returning guest. We're going to be talking with Brian, our head of acquisitions here at Cedar Creek. He helps us find deals and acquire them and put them under contract. And he knows all about acquisition, which is what we're talking about today, how to acquire, what are some of the different things that you might consider while starting out, what are some of the pitfalls and the mistakes that you can avoid. There is a lot of value here in this episode because this is something we do day in and day out. And even though we'll be talking about acquiring new facilities and new properties, if you're thinking about doing the same thing, you really need somebody who's an expert in this field and is familiar with self-storage construction specifically. And that's why we work with Forge Building Company. We talk about them here on the podcast all the time. And after we hired them for one deal, they saved us like a few hundred thousand dollars just on that. And after that, we're like, all right, we got to we got to have them back. Like we want them to do this to, to every single one of our deals. So if you haven't heard of Forge, you should definitely check them out. We're actually offering an exclusive consultation and site layout completely free for our listeners here on the podcast. I'll be sure to leave a link in the show notes, but without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. No matter what business or industry you're in, you're gonna want a competitive advantage over your competition, right? You're gonna want that ability to outperform and outmaneuver and outvalue that competition. Janice International provides you the tools to be able to do that, whether that's their R3 program to help increase the look and feel of your storage facility through new doors or siding or roofing or gating or whatever that is, or a technology solution like their no-key solution that allows people to rent units, to access units, to do all of this without ever going in the office. Be sure to check out Janice International. Link is in the show notes. Welcome everybody to Self Storage Income. And today we have one of our favorite topics to talk about with one of our favorite people. Of course, you all remember Brian from podcasts and everything else that we do, YouTube videos, uh, because he is our head of acquisitions. And the acquisition landscape has dramatically changed in the last three months, like quickly and is quickly changing. So today we really want to see not only the landscape, but also what is the process? How do we get uh, funnels made? How do you work with brokers? How do you improve those odds of success to get those deals? So Brian, dude, appreciate you walking all 10 steps uh, in here to, to, <laughs> yeah. to do this with us. No, good to be back, guys. <laughs> oh, so um, why don't you give it just a quick update on what you've been doing for the last little while and uh, also what you're doing at this very moment because you know from when you've really started to 
come in and start acquiring facilities, things, it, 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 you know, it's shifted, but you're still reaping the rewards from, you know, a long time ago today. And it's really interesting to hear about that. And I think a lot of people really discount that work. Yeah, no, it's, it's been, uh, it's been quite the journey. Cause looking back when we first got it started, I mean, we had the markets that we were in in the Pacific Northwest and we had kind of had a good pulse on what was going on. But when you and I sat down and we said, all right, we're, we're taking storage across the country. We're looking at new markets. We're going into different areas. It was a pretty daunting task to sit back and say, all right, how are we going to build out a sales funnel and really blow this up and have leads and be closing deals and find opportunities. So looking back just a few years ago at, at what, where we're at now, um, we've really come a long way. So it's been- And maintain quality all along the way. Yeah. So like, you know, you could just go out and buy anything. Um, and I think that was also a, a big struggle internally was like, we have such high expectations and we need to hit such high metrics that it's like, there was, especially in the last two two years, there were so many deals. It was like, I mean, they were just everywhere, right? It was like, you could see, you could look at deals just constantly, all day long. It was almost overwhelming, especially if you didn't really have a path or a system valuation. Um, you start to layer that in. And then, I mean, I feel like sometimes you're like trying to find a needle in a haystack. Um, but actually, I think it becomes the opposite. It, it becomes more clear. Yeah. Definitely. And I look back to our beginning process, like we started out very simple and I think that was what's gotten us to this point. Now I look at our process and it's far more complicated. It's far more data driven. But when we were first getting started, it was just basically a glorified spreadsheet. Let's throw in leads. Let's start doing the activities that are actually going to drive results. So that was phone calls with owners, phone calls with brokers, like doing that groundwork because it's easy to get intimidated. You're like, all right, we're, we're going after this huge list of leads. Where do we start? We need these systems. Everything's got to be perfect. But that wasn't the case. It was yeah. like, all right, what are the activities that our acquisitions team needs to be doing to start getting that ball rolling, start having some of those um, deals land, gain some momentum. And now we're sitting here um, being able to continue that process, grow that flywheel and keep it spinning. And, it, you know, I think a lot of people really discount how slow it is to turn that flywheel. And I even remember, you know, six months over and you're like, you know, hey, we're coming in, we're doing stuff. You know, how do you feel? Stuff? I'm like, I'm not worried at all because you're doing the right activities. Right. And it was like, as long as we can say you're doing the right things, as long as our team is doing the right things, we know that it'll come. But it's really frustrating when you're like, I'm doing the right things, but we're now five, six months and I don't have a deal. And it's like, that's how it, it doesn't just work like that. It takes time to get that flywheel to move. Whereas now it's the opposite. Literally, we're in meetings yesterday and we're just like, how are we ever going to raise money for all these deals we have? It's just like, it's almost daunting. And they're all incredible deals, so we don't want to not do any of them. But that's not how it was for the first while. Well, it's weird that there's that expectation that we have that, I don't know if it's the books or the people that we follow and or what it is, but there's always that expectation of, oh, well, in the next like 90 days, I'm gonna do this thing, or in the next 30 days, I'm gonna do this thing. Like, And I, I don't know, I don't know if it's that instant gratification kind of a situation, but yeah, it's like, 
you just have this expectation that you're going to start doing, you know, those impactful tasks that are really going to move the needle. And then, you know, time goes down the way and you're sitting there thinking, okay, like, are we doing the right things? And it's like, no, yeah, we're good. Like we got this. And then like you're talking about, now we've got so much opportunity. We got that flywheel spinning so hot, so heavy that, I mean, we're trying to figure out how to actually execute on all the opportunity coming down the pipe. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing that helped us from the get go, I mean, we, we drive this home with everyone here on the team. It's long-term games with long-term people. Like our, when we decide to do anything, whether it's invest in a new CRM, bring in new data, um, add employees to the team, like we're really looking at this. Okay. Where's this going to take us in one, three, five years. And is that where we want to be? Yep. So all of our decision-making on like building our acquisitions funnel has been with that long-term focus because we're in storage, we're going to be in storage unless something crazy happens, but like we've really committed. And I think that's to go back to what Connor's saying, like it's easy to get caught up and say, all right, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to get my first deal and land it in 90 days. And everyone makes it look so easy. Like if you go into a sales process or an acquisitions process with that mentality, like I'm just going to go in have success and then jump out. Like you're going about it wrong. You really got it. If you're trying to build a business, if you're trying to build a long-term business, like you really got to start that process thinking about, okay, in five years, our company is going to be looking like this. Here's what it's going to, what tools we're going to need. Here's the data that we're going to need to collect. Here's the the CRM that's going to help take us there. Um, here's all the relationships we're going to need to build. So kind of starting with the end in mind and working back is how we've exactly. done it. And it's, it's, I think yeah. the way anybody needs well, to do it. I look at it like this, your sales funnel, which acquisitions is a sales funnel. You came from sales. I came from sales. When you look at the sales funnel, I often tell people the quality of the funnel dictates obviously the outcome, but the funnel takes investment and it takes time. So if you want something done or if you want a result really quick, yes, you can get lucky and have an amazing deal land in your lap. I've seen that happen. And it happened guy in our inner circle. He like joins the inner circle like two weeks later. He was like, guys, look at this deal. And we're just like, how did you find that? Well, dude, right? Was... Everybody's like, are you kidding me? Yeah. It's just it, <laughs> totally luck though. It was yeah. just totally no, 100%. luck. Right? We had the one guy on the podcast that we're like, it was his first deal, right? And, and we're like, how many, okay, how many calls did it take you? And he's like, yeah, it was my, it was sec- my first, yeah, was second, call second one he called. And you're like, going, owner finance, what? like everything. And you're just like, okay, so disclaimer, everybody. <laughs> disclaimer, exactly. That's exactly how it is. This is yeah. not normal. I right. mean, generally speaking, that funnel, the outcome is only as good as the strength, the quality, the time of that funnel. And people that don't want to make the right funnel, they get, you know, I think of the leftovers. So they get worse quality of outcomes that other people that have been building that funnel out and maturing, maturing it and really spending time to get that outcome, they get the better quality outcomes. And now, of course, we have exceptions, things like that. But over the long run, that is generally true every single time that I've seen it. You, you, we all hear, we all know the guys that's just like, you're always getting deals, but not just deals, you're getting good deals, right? We know people that raise lots of money and they just buy everything, right? But for most people starting out, that doesn't work. I don't have access to unlimited capital. I don't have, like when we got started out, it's the reason our whole model is the way that it is. We're like, we need our money back. We have to have a cash flow to pay bills. We like this has to be a rock star for us to even do this to make it even work. 
And most people starting out, right, that quality is way more important than quantity because it's like I'm trying to find a good one, but that good first deal too, that that leverages into everything. If you get a good one, then I can get two more. I can, you know, I can move forward. So that quality of that funnel, it's so important. Exactly. And every we were just talking about this yesterday. Every day, three to five deals float across our desks that we could buy. Mm-hmm. But it's all about the quality and having increasing the quantity of quality deals coming yes. through. So it's easy just to say, oh, I got one deal. But I mean, we know this game, like anything could happen. So yeah. maybe that deal doesn't go through. Maybe you stall in negotiations. Maybe you find something out on the property and due diligence. Like then what? Yeah. What's next? Where's What's your next? next deal coming from? So having that bigger picture, yeah, anybody can can pick up the phone and, and have a seller on the line and, and start negotiating a deal. And then all of a sudden I, I made one cold call. I got one deal and that's great. That's and that awesome. can happen. Yeah, but. So you have to have that in the back of your mind. But really big picture, if you're building out a, a an acquisitions business, you have to be thinking about, okay, this deal is great, but what's going to happen in three months, six months, five yeah. years. And that's what the focus has been for us. Well, and you know, when you came in too, it was really hard. And I think people that if you're looking right today, starting out, you're saying, okay, over the next six months, I want to get a storage facility or whatever that may be. You're in a way easier position than Brian was when he got started because it was hot. And he, I was like, okay, there's all these deals coming to market, but the vast majority of them, like they're just trying to get this high, high price. We, we're never going to buy it. So all of a sudden it's like, well, where do we find the good deals? Because then all of the owners know I can get stupid prices. So I was a really, really, last three years have been tough. Like quality has really been downgraded. So that meant you know, in like I talked to you, I'm like, when we got started, it was so easy to find quality, right? And even then we were nervous about everything and stuff, but it really was, it was easy to find quality, right? We could get good high paying deals and we would look at 10. And of those 10, probably today, we would buy all 10. And of that, we would probably even be arguing with the seller over the one that is the best one, right? And then you get started and it, the world's completely inverse. It was like, no, you got to look at a thousand and that's hard. And it's really hard to build a funnel out in an environment like that because you're, you're looking at deals. You're trying to understand these deals and there's just so much that we, you know, it was whatever a year ago that you're like, AJ, our funnels bogged down and it was bogged down with deals that we were never going to do anyways. So you did a really good job with the team is I viewed it as you built out a filter at the top of the funnel where it was like, we've got to be very particular about what we let into the funnel. And when you guys did that, you really saw your success rate go up. So talk about that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think having the focus on like your buying criteria was the biggest kind of changing moment for us because we came out of the gates hot. We said, all right, we're we're building relationships, we're, we're calling sellers, we're calling brokers across all markets. And that quickly gets overwhelming. So if, you're, if your net is so wide, like it's easy to get bogged down, but starting from the inverse of that, starting very focused and very either market specific or um, your list is very specific and then building on upon that, that's an easier approach to take um, because you're 
all of your activities and your focus is um, on those leads that you want to buy and you will buy. So that was the biggest game changer for us is filtering all using data points and filtering all of our lead lists down to facilities that we know we would buy tomorrow. If yeah. we could get on the phone with the seller or if we could talk to a broker that knew the owner that brought us a deal, we would buy that deal because of the data and the work that we did up into that point. And I think building upon that list and then you can take down more states, you can take down yeah. more markets, you can build a bigger list. But if you start without all those data points, you'll quickly get overwhelmed and then you'll just be your head will be spinning saying, how do I know what's a good deal and what's not? That's because you didn't do that work up front, getting detailed and specific. And yeah, that buy box, you know, it's it's twofold because you, we we talk about that buy box, which you you kind of talk about there because it has to be very very specific. But what a lot of people don't realize is that buy box can be over a lot of area, a lot of, and so then also all of a sudden the buy box had to be very specific, but we really had to get nailed down too on the area box, like. What is the area? And then we had to limit those way down where it was because what we were seeing, we were seeing a lot of our buy boxes, but then only turned out, oh, we're never going to do that deal. Mm -hmm. And then so you put those two things together and that filter gets really good. And then it starts dropping in to the funnel more leads. Now, walk us through that. You have your filter. These are the exact kind of markets I want, right? You know, for us and you can kind of just talk through that and then our buy box and then when it goes down in what is the process from there yeah so we start with each individual state that we want to invest in and all of the storage facilities that we can identify in those markets we bring them into kind of a central database and then we're looking at individual markets and um, the individual competitors because at the end of the day we're in real estate but we're really buying businesses, the real estate's the bonus. So we're looking for businesses where we know if we overlaid our business model over that existing business, we're gonna exponentially increase the value of that. So that's that's what we're trying to decipher and, and, and code out. Um, so what we do, we start with that massive list and then we're going through with our acquisitions team and adding data points. So what that means is like, okay, what's the three mile population? Um, what are their current rates? How is their website? Do they have a website? So a lot of these different like business indicators, how they're running their business. And then we're looking for discrepancies on what they're, what they're doing right now and what we can capitalize on. And then we filter down and then we start with a list of say 30,000 self storage facilities. We end up with a list of 5,000 and then all of our sales activities are really honed in and focused on those 5,000. Because you see it all the time with sales organizations. You've got a sales team and they're just running around doing busy work, being busy and making calls and doing all these things, but they're not seeing results. And that comes from spending all that time on that 30,000 lead list when you know it's like you could take it all the way through underwriting, you could negotiate it, but at the end of the day, it's still not a deal for you. So that's been the main focus is how do we filter down all of these lists and these leads to verified opportunities and then spend all of our time on those verified opportunities. 
When you guys are looking at property management software for your storage facilities, there's a ton of options out there, but no other option compares to Tenant Inc. Tenant Inc. is going to be your one-stop shop solution that has an amazing amount of tools that you can deploy at your fingertips to maximize the value of your facility, to operate it more efficiently, more effectively. They have an open API where you can back in almost anything you want. You own your data, and it's just an incredible solution. I can't say enough good things about these guys. Link is in the show notes. Be sure to check out Tenant Inc. If you guys are looking to purchase your first storage facility, you just might be looking at the SBA loan approach and one of the best and most efficient places to get your SBA from is going to be Live Oak Bank. These people know self-storage. They've been in the industry for a very long time. They're very knowledgeable. You don't have to educate them on the underwriting, on how you're, you're valuing self-storage, any of that. These guys are incredible at valuing self-storage. They know how to underwrite it, and they are a phenomenal solution for you and your financing needs in all things self-storage. Again, Live Oak Bank. For a lot of people, when, you know, you may have this idea that, well, I don't know, right? And I think this is an important thing. I don't know, maybe I don't know my buy box or I don't know that the what is a good city or not. It's really important to understand that when we talk about our buy box and our markets too, those things are generated off of our strengths and opportunities, right? So it's like we when we got started, our buy box was very simple. We wanna go into small cities, and we want to buy small facilities that we can afford. And we want those small facilities to not be actively collecting rent, not to be marketing, and to not be basically doing anything, which there was a plethora of. But because I'm like, we don't know what we're doing. We don't want to go to a big city where everybody knows. And we didn't want to take on risk like that because we're, you know, so our, and, but that worked our buy box and our market box worked really well. All of a sudden we're like, okay, I can see this. We'll be a buyer in here. And all we have to do is pick up the phone. All we have to do is make sure people pay rent. And that was a great starting strategy. So our buy box and our market, right, has evolved and it's changed based upon opportunities, our comfort level, our understanding. And it's it's evolving today. I mean, I mean, what we're doing on the portfolio side, right? That was not a buy box when you started. That was not a market. Neither one of those things. We didn't have those. So I think it's really important to think if other people are doing something, it doesn't just mean you should be doing that on it. And you got to figure out what is your comfort level or ability, and then make sure that buy box and that market that that really reflects those things. Yeah, because to to. To flash forward then, you have to be really clear on what you're going after because once you do all that work on, I mean, we're just talking lead gen right now, but once you do all that work and then you have deals that you're actively negotiating on or brokers that are bringing you deals, the next part of that is like, how do you take it from, okay, you've got a seller who wants to sell, you're a buyer that wants to buy, how do you take it to actually getting it under contract and closing on it? And that comes from having the confidence in yourself that you can execute on that business plan. And at the end of the day, you're selling the seller or the broker that you can execute on. You're the best buyer to execute on that business plan. And that's huge. Yeah. That's really what we've excelled at the most. And the reason why we pick up deals at a discount, 
even though there's maybe a couple other offers on the table. It's because we're really good at relaying that confidence level to a seller or to a broker that we're going to come in. We're not going to jerk them around. We're going to do or say we're going to do. We're going to be professional. We're going to be great to work with. We've got a team. We've gone through this before. That's huge. That's a ton of value for any seller or broker. Um, And if you don't have your buy box narrowed in, you're just kind of like, yeah, I'm just looking for a deal. I'll see. That's a tough pitch to give and just be like, I I just came across this one and I think I like it. I mean, there's very little confidence there. Yeah, no, it's it's such an important topic too because it's like touching on the concept of like buying businesses where... I think a lot of people approach it, and I think I think Walker Dibel talks about in his book uh, Buy Then Build, where a lot of people go at this approach of like, okay, well, the business owner needs to prove to me why I should buy their business as the buyer, when in reality, it's the total opposite. Like you're talking about, Brian, it's like, no, you've got to show the broker and the seller that you can actually execute, that you are the person, again, exactly like you said, to execute that business plan, um, to take their business from them and to go forward and, and add value and, and do good things. So such a good important topic to, to touch on when you're buying those businesses. It's not about the, the seller proving something to you. It's all about what you can do for the seller for sure. And this, you know, right along with that, there's two other factors that I think people really get lost in. And that's price um, and, you know, the price as people view, oh, it's an investment. So the cheaper the price is, the better it is. Um, that's not true. Um, price does not equal value, right? And they focus on the price or the you know the cost of it. What do I have to pay for it, right? As opposed to looking at what is the intrinsic and extrinsic value of this asset. And uh, they get so caught up in that, then they start negotiating and they start putting the seller through a hard time. And then all of a sudden they lose the deal because someone that understood value said, this is the value, I'm okay at that price because this is what the value is. Instead of coming and trying to nickel and dime them and try to get out, and then they lost the value that was there Dude, because so they funny. wanted a cheaper, uh, and skimping yeah. on a seller. Like, yeah. it's. Dude, I was totally having that, that conversation with somebody recently where um, they had just moved to our area and they were a landscaper and I was like, oh, there's this landscape company I saw for sale. And uh, I pulled it up and like, they look at it and they're like, oh, wow, that's, that's a huge price tag. It, it, and I'm like, but but the, the revenue. revenue. Yeah. <laughs> what's it's, the value? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like, what's the value to you? What's the, it's just, it's interesting that so many people, even, even you know, seasoned business owners can get so caught up in just stuck on price. Price. And that's it. And, you know, when you look at, we're very driven and as a revenue focused, right? It's, okay, listen. Um, we, we look at expenses, we look at the cost, everything else, but first and foremost, it's revenue. What is the revenue? What is the value of the revenue? What, how, how stable is that revenue? Cause you can only get value from securing revenue or increasing it. That's it. You can increase value by securing or increasing. So when you look at it, you say, all right, you can increase revenue through lowering expenses. Well, that is very marginal at best. And most of the time, by lowering expenses, you're actually stopping increasing revenue. We see this all the time in storage. It costs too much to advertise, so I'm not going to advertise because I want to increase my margin. We look at revenue increasing activities 
through driving up the revenue, not lowering the overall expenses. And when you're looking at your acquisitions and you're looking at um, that funnel, that buy box and everything, I see people that turn away deals just endlessly where I'm like, that was an amazing deal. Because you were caught up with the cost, the price, like it's a stock, I'll wait till it goes lower. Somebody was saying this the other day, they were like, yeah, you've got this big deal you're doing, but I, I mean, you've talked about how it's gonna soften over the next two years, things like that. Don't you think that you could get a cheaper price on that deal in six months? And I'm like, oh no, that that won't happen. It won't exist. And they're like, but you just said, and I'm like, well, it won't happen because we'll own it. So nobody will get a cheaper deal. It's ours. So you waiting to try to get a cheaper deal on an asset that we're buying that has tremendous value, that just means you don't get it. You don't get the opportunity ever because now I own it and now it's gone. And that value increase is ours to ha be had. People just don't look at acquisitions like that though. And then they sit on the sideline like you're talking about. They don't have their buy box. They're not really moving. How do you get over that? Right. Um, that's, that's a great point because like I said earlier, we've got deals floating across our desk all the time. And there's plenty of, de uh, like a, a deal that we could buy comes across our plate a couple times a week. But how do you know like when to strike and how do you know when to sit on the sidelines? And I think it just comes down to what you're saying. You you have to be looking at these acquisitions through a lens of how you're going to execute them and what your business plan is. Um, and especially in storage, like you've got you've got two levers to pull. You can ink drive revenue or you can lower expenses. Like that's what yeah. it comes down to. Driving revenue is always the best route to go in my opinion. And really knowing, we talk about it when we underwrite deals too. It's like we take every individual line item of expense and revenue and say, what's our probability of getting this number whether, so take an expense line item, like what's the probability of getting this as our year end tax total? Like we can go out and get third party tax estimates and get advisors and we can get that to a 95% confidence. Um, so taking that granular approach and knowing which levers you can pull as an operator is huge. That comes from experience. If you don't have experience, you're gonna have to uh, learn, study, um, go to people that do really understand those individual items because it just comes down to running a good business. And if, and if you can do that, you'll start to see value where others don't. And yes. that's a big thing where a lot of people get hung up on just, okay, oh, that's a $100 a square foot. I would never pay $100 a square foot, but you're not valuing it the way you should. You should be looking at it on an income approach and really getting into the weeds on how am I going to run this? then you'll start seeing deals and it'll be more clear to you when you're analyzing and building your funnel. It's like, okay, now this deal really makes sense for what I'm going after because of these things. You know, that's just such a good point. It's, you know, as you try to become more proficient, this is also exactly to what you're saying is why it's important for you to be looking at the market, looking at what you can do, how you can execute on that plan over the you know whatever the time is but it you, like it's you can never limit risk completely that doesn't exist it'll never happen um and you're never going to get your numbers perfect we talk about this all the time underwriting is on a spreadsheet it's not how it works right so we are projecting and we have time and we have inputs to achieve that thing 
no, the timing and the input maneuvers that we can do is going to be dictated and they're going to be playing off each other. And so we, what we're really trying to attract is that in a longer period of time, all things up and down surprises, good things, bad things, even out to a likelihood that is within um, not only just totally reasonable, but we can see how our execution will hit that. And you need time though, to be able to do that. And you need to be able to have inputs or something that'll drive it. And so like you guys are looking at, if we shove an input in here, how will that affect it? And what time frame will it take to do that? But too many people, I think they want an exact number and they want it like, okay, I need to know, but I don't know. And it's like, well, hold on here. You need to look at the, um, the not the reaction, but you need to look at, first of all, it needs to be measurable. Everything we do is measurable. We don't do anything that's not measurable. And then that probability of that measuring. We just did a, a, webin a webinar on underwriting and it was pretty much like most of my underwriting webinars are. It's probability and spread. And then what does it take to get that? And where are you gonna line up in it? But if you're doing acquisitions, particularly beginning, like I tell people that you say, listen, the probability on the high end, you're like, I don't, maybe I don't know for sure that I can get that, but the probability on a low end, you're like, okay, that's really reasonable. I can get that. And that's still really good. That's what we want, right? That margin of stupidity, that spread in probability, plus the action going into it. Now that's been harder over the last two years. That's changed now. We're seeing bigger margins. So talk a little bit about that change and what's happening for people that are looking at acquisitions right now in the self-storage market. Yeah, because uh, that's so true. I mean, the past two, three years have just been, in my, my view, the peak of the storage market. I mean, 100%. we haven't seen anything like that before in storage. So um, now here we are sitting, and this is the end of August, and a lot of like the fruits of our labor are starting to come back and pay off where a lot of the seller conversations that we had where two years ago, their expectations have just been continuing to go up every month. They, they hear that the market is hot. Um, interest rates are still low. They've got buyers knocking down their doors. Like if you're an owner and you see a stack of mailers on your desk and you take three phone calls a day from brokers and investors, you know that and you kind of gauge in your head your own barometer of, okay, there's a lot of interest in my property. Um, if I wait, I don't need to sell. If I wait, it's gonna go up another $100,000 and I'll take that. So that's been the trend over the past couple of years. Now we've started to see, not a, not a ton, but we've seen groups jump on the sidelines. We've seen a ton of deals fall out of contract. Yeah. Um, and you don't have to live under a rock to see what's going on in the economy. Yeah. And so a lot of these owners too, now they're sitting back saying, oh, I was kind of riding this gravy train as the market just kept going up. Now what do I do? Like we just had a, a an owner who we've been talking to for the past couple of years call us yesterday. She's been filing her taxes. She's finally like, I'm done with this. I, I don't want to do all this work. I know the market's turning now they're calling the people that have been following up with them consistently and the people that they know and trust that will close on the deal 
And that's been the biggest thing for us. So now all of those conversations, all of the work that we've done over the past couple of years is starting to come back around where their expectations are slowly starting to adjust. Yes. They always lag, but they're slowly, you know, waking up in the morning thinking, what's my exit going to look like? Mm-hmm. And maybe it's, maybe I'm not going to get that extra trip to Mexico after I sell or yeah. whatever is going through their mind. And it's switching to who's going to, who do I want to work with? Who's going to make my life easy? Who's going to give me the valuation that I want? And that's kind of where we're sitting at right now with brokers and sellers where they, yeah. they all know where we stand and how we transact and how we, we handle acquisitions. So they're coming back to us saying, Hey, here's a deal. Here's a legit seller. Let's talk. So that's kind of been the big shift. Touching on that. So we've kind of talked about the funnel, that lead generation, getting your deals through your filter, underwriting and you know solidifying and getting down to that hyper-focused, these are the deals that we want in our buy box. Um, and you kind of touched on those, those sales activities um, and we're kind of touching on it here. What does that process look like after you know, a broker or conversations begin with, a, uh, with an owner? What do those sales activities look like? And because I've heard you talk about some of this stuff in those conversations with brokers and sellers, and I think there's a ton of value there that that you could provide for people on that. Yeah. So at the end of the day, you're not gonna you're not gonna sell somebody to sell you their property. Like yeah. it, it's you can't just like will somebody into giving you the deal. So it really comes down to you, it in the negotiation. You have to be it's a two way street and it, there's no clearer um, example of that than a lot of the storage deals we do. Like there's a, there's a tactfulness of, of playing hardball and being reasonable and being a, a great party to transact with. So going through that process, um, yeah, we want to be as open and as accommodating as possible. And yeah, there's always going to be things that come up in a deal where, um, you know, maybe expenses, we're off on where we initially thought they were going to be or taxes are off or we find something in due diligence. So there's always a, you get, you have to know when to, to really lean in and push on sellers and, and in the transaction and then when to be a good party to work with. And that kind of balance that yin and yang really, really helps and allows you to be an effective negotiator when you're putting deals together. You have to know when to lean in and when to kind of just take it and keep keep moving because in the back of your mind something's going to pop up every time every there's time. always there's never been a deal Mm-mm. i'd like to see it that was perfectly Perfect. clean there was nothing that ever came up um throughout the process so i think having that in mind and and just being a good party to work with and knowing when to lean in yeah i i could not agree with that more i mean there's there's items that you need to be like we're going to play hardball, but you also need to be ready to give. And you also need to be like this prioritization of what's important within the asset and the effects of it. Um, that it's so important because your understanding and their understanding and the reality of that is coming together during due diligence, but they're two separate points. So you're coming together on a totally new reality, right? This meeting in the middle. And some of those things, like obviously for us or maybe others, are going to be really, really important. Where others we may not like, but we're like, or would we ever throw a deal away for this? No. Then why would we make it hard? 
Yeah. Why, why are we going to stir things up? Why are we going to It's like, no, okay, that sucks. We don't like it. Um, but move on. Mm-hmm. Let's get what's important done. Then we have other things that come up. We go, okay, no, no, stop. That's not okay. We, this isn't either what we agreed to or you, th- this is materially affecting our entire underwriting thought process. Then it's time to, to be tactful, like you said, but say, hold on. Because the thing about it that you got to understand is once those things come up, the goal is to resolve it, to get through it. It's not to blow the deal up over it. Exactly. It's to say, this wasn't what was presented. This wasn't our understanding. Um, this changed, right? Seller, let's have a discussion now on this, right? This is, we, we need to work through this. We need to resolve it. Now, if you're not giving on little things, if you're just hitting them on everything, right? And you're not being good to work with and you're trying to get stuff out of it. And they're like, okay, hold on. When the big things come up, they're like, I don't even care. No, yeah. deal with it or leave. Because you look like it's your only intent is to try to change the deal, try to make it difficult, you know, all that. And that erodes trust. And then the sellers want out. And then you're not going to get the sellers to ever work with you again. And the brokers too. They're going to be like, you're a wild card here. Everything we did was a pain. You made 10 times the amount of work for me. It's like that, that is just a horrible way to work with brokers, sellers, and transact deals. Prioritize the things. And if it's not a priority, figure it out, move on. Yeah. And if you're focused on one asset, like we're really focused on self-storage. Reputation's everything. And mm-hmm. and word travels quickly in the industry. And if, if you're just known as a, a buyer that's just always difficult to work with, never organized, always one-sided, always you're retrading, up, you're treating yeah. the brokers poorly, like that travels quick. And really if quick. you're trying to be in this industry for a long time, that's a losing strategy. So going back to what we started this all off with, it's like, what do we want to be known for in five years? What do we want our business to look like? How do we want our employees to be? And that really matters. So reputation in a small industry like self-storage, you start being known as the buyer that's just a nightmare to transact with and always beating everyone up, never being, um, you know, reasonable. Nope, brokers aren't going to bring yeah. you any, those off-market deals. Or brokers aren't going to give you that early look on a deal that they're bringing to market. Or they're not going to put in the best word for you as a, as a potential buyer. Um, and sellers talk. Sellers know. So uh, I think it's definitely something, if it's really a focus long-term, that you really got to pay close attention to. So it's like, in a nutshell, Brian, how would you, like somebody starting out today, they want to go out and they want to find deals. They want to get their criteria, reverse engineer all this stuff. They want to start conversations with sellers, brokers, and really start building this pipeline. I mean, what's your, uh, it's, it's a ton of stuff packaged into that, but uh, like what's your step-by-step, what advice would you have for them? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great question, something I get asked all the time. I think you start uh, with the end in mind and you start small and build off that. It's easy to get overwhelmed when you're trying to build out, say like, I'm going to start buying self-storage. Great, you're telling everybody, awesome, but it's easy to get in your own head and say, how come I'm not having success? How come I'm not winning yet? But it's a process. Start with the end in mind, hone in your strategy. Even if your strategy is going to change, select something and and start doing those, um, those steps that are going to get you that end goal. So that's maybe that's building a list in, in the three markets that you feel comfortable with and you want to be in. 
and starting there, building out a list, being data focused, um, identifying the ones that are worth your, your time and energy, because if you're really just targeting self storage, it's easy to get on Google and, and look at a market and identify the 15 storage facilities in that market that you could potentially buy. That's an easy thing to do. Start there, build upon that, go to brokers, have conversations with them even if you're just starting out and you don't have a facility if you come to a broker and you can get on a phone call with them and in the first 20 30 seconds they know who you are what you're looking for some of your previous experience and and you're kind of putting that elevator pitch on them to want to have them want to bring you deals so if you can get those activities going you'll start that snowball moving and you'll be headed in the right direction to have those deals that are worth your time and energy to be spent on, to start underwriting, start negotiating. And that's really what it is, starting out building your your funnel. So if you can do those things, um, you're gonna eventually have success if you stick with it. Well, and right now too, um, so money is retreated out of a lot of markets. I, I was on a call with a seller today and they're in a, um, third or fourth tier market. They have drive up uh, units. It's gravel, right? And they're like, we were talking to our broker and we were at 7 million for our 100,000 square foot facility three months ago. And they said, right now, they're coming back to us at five. And it's like three months, 2 million gone. It, it, it's evaporating out of a lot of those markets. Now for a seller, that's bad, which they're fine. They'll just keep it and own it, right? But for buyers, that's a good thing because then you can go to them, right? And you get obviously better deals, higher cash flow, but you can negotiate. You can say, let's do seller financing. Let's yeah. do, there's our, your ability to accomplish an acquisition can be so much more targeted now because there is less competition. So going out, like you said, identifying those facilities and going and talking to the owners, you're gonna be shocked how many people right now are gonna go, okay, the tide's turned. Like I look at whenever there's something in the economy that does a massive shift, it like, it just wrestles everything to the surface. And now all of a sudden people that weren't gonna do things already do things, right? Um, and a lot of people think, well, we'll just wait. And if things get, you know, wait till they get really cheap. But people don't understand this because they've never been in a market for the vast majority where things were all really cheap. One of the hardest times that we ever had to do deals was through 2008 to 2010 because nobody would sell. They couldn't. I can't sell you anything because the value is now under whatever. So deals, we didn't see lots of transactions till 2015. And that's when deals started to transact. Why? Because they could sell. So you also got to be realistic that, you know, there is a point where people just don't sell. They don't care. I got cash flow. I don't need it. So you're not buying any assets at that point, right? So a lot of people just think it's like a stock. When it gets super cheap, I'll buy it, right? Not, that's just not how these markets work. And right now we're shifting and buyers are coming to the table that have not been buyers at the table for years or ever saying, okay, like you, you mentioned, but the lady that um, we're working with right now that came to the table, we didn't think, okay, we'll keep good relationship, but we're 10 years down the road. One year later. Okay, now I'm ready. Why? It has only to do with the fact that the economy is changing. Anybody that is thinking about selling 
in the next three years, which if everybody remember, I said this six months ago, if you are going to sell in the next three years, you got to do it now and you got to do it fast. So all of a sudden now it's changing. That's what they're realizing. If I'm going to be, if I need to sell in the next three years, right now, I may not ever get back, if I'm not going to get back to what it was six months ago, but also in three years, my outlook's unknown. So I just need to get rid of risk. That's it. So I'm going to sell it, right? Um, and that brings sellers to the table that first time buyers and people that are trying to grow a portfolio, you can transact on, you can get reasonable prices now. We're not in the stupid prices of six months ago because they're willing to negotiate, right? Mm -hmm. They're willing to have conversations and there's less buyers. Um, that makes a really good environment currently to buy. Yeah, definitely. And you hit on it too, changing cycles in the market. Banks and their ability to lend on projects are always shifting. So the last thing I would say to this, if you, if you really want to be good at acquisitions, you got to have all the tools in your tool belt. So yes. you got to be investing in yourself and investing in, in growing those tools. So now creative financing and, and feeling confident and able to, to talk through a seller on seller financing or, or structuring deals different ways. And those are tools in your tool belt that the best in acquisitions, the best real estate investors are really good at, and they know when to use them. They haven't been, you know, seller financing hasn't been very appealing over the past few years, but now, now. things have dramatically changed. And if a seller needs to exit, um, and you can't get a loan for the, the for the value of it, you can start negotiating those. So I would say if if you're struggling with with acquisitions, do the things to build your pipeline. You know what those activities are that are going to drive those end results. But lastly, really invest in yourself because the more you can pour back into yourself, the more confidence you're going to gain, and the more um, possibilities to be able to put a deal together. And that's an art. And the best investors are the best um, at putting deals together and making them happen. Well, and you, you know, when you say that too, it just brings up like floods of memories, things like that, that when the market changed, either you have expectations of how you think price it should be, what you should buy, things like that. And then when it changes, your buying shuts down. I know that from, I'm speaking from experience, right? All of a sudden, no, I was paying two years ago, $30 a square foot. Why would I pay $45 a square foot now? So I had one year that I didn't buy, and that's because prices jumped. And I was concerned with price, not value, because it took me by surprise. I was like, whoa, hold on here. That's, that, that's such a divergent from where I was just at. That was the biggest mistake I'd ever made. I, I didn't adapt. I didn't say, we're looking at value, we're not looking at price. I shut down when I should have been continuing on, I should have been buying and I should have been changing the way that I bought because I just needed more tools. Think, okay, well, if I can't do this, I'll do it at creative, right? Um, and I just had one one year and it was the only year in, I don't know, 15 years that I didn't buy a storage facility. And I regret that. And the reason I regret it is because I regret how I approached it. I regret that I wasn't creative, that I was stuck in my ways that I saw the change as a bad thing and a thing that I should stop at when I should have seen it as a green light, been more creative, got more deals and used it to my advantage. And that um, is happening now. And I see people, they're stepping back. Whoa, hold on, this isn't right. And I'm like, yeah, but this is in your advantage. Mm -hmm. They're like, but there's uncertainty. And I'm like, 
that's why it's your advantage. Yeah. Get opportunity. They're walking away. <laughs> exactly. And it's yeah. like, don't, don't do that. Well, Brian, dude, thanks so much for jumping in and, and giving us the rundown of acquisitions. It's a huge thing. It's a question we get all the time. How do I find deals, man? And uh, tons of value in here. So uh, hopefully we can, we can get it, some of that unpacked for everybody. But um, I know you're speaking got... at the event. Yes. So talking yeah. on acquisitions. I think that was your topic. I have to even go back and look look through it. So we're going to be talking at the event. You're obviously going to be there. So everybody, you know, you can come meet with Brian at the event too. And, you know, he'll, we're, we're very open around here on what we do, how we do it. So they can just ask you questions. Um, but this is a huge topic. We'll have you back on. Another fantastic episode with AJ, Connor, and Brian. I recently had the privilege of uh, going with Brian and a few other team members to Tennessee. We were doing some due diligence on this massive deal that we have under contract. And it's so great to be able to see Brian out in the field and doing his thing and making sure everybody's on the same page. And due diligence is just such an important part of any deal and any acquisition. Um, so while I was there, like I was asking him, like, hey, Brian, what are some of the commonly missed items that are easily glossed over or not considered? There's th they're simple things but you don't really consider them. So we made a video about it over on the Self Storage Income YouTube channel. Um, I'll leave a link in the description. You're not gonna wanna miss those tips. Now, speaking of acquisitions, AJ actually posted a screenshot from one of you guys over on his Instagram. It was a direct message. I'm not sure who it's from, but he says, AJ, I'm under contract on my first storage facility and wanted to say you were such a huge motivation when you said something along the lines of, if I promised someone a million dollars, if they made the calls to find the deal, everyone would do it. But no one will because it's not guaranteed. I called 250 owners and got a deal that I'll profit 450 grand over three years on cash flow and sale and wanted to say thank you. Okay, first of all, congratulations on that deal. Like that is absolutely amazing. And I'm so glad to hear that the content that we're putting out on the podcasts and the YouTube videos like it's actually able to help you acquire your first deal. I know AJ was super happy when he saw that comment and that's why he reposted it. It's great hearing success stories from you guys because that just reminds us here every day when we're grinding out the content, when, the, when we're sitting here for hours on end doing the podcasts and recording the videos that this is actually helping somebody. This is actually changing somebody's life right now and that is our goal here on Self Storage Income. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd really appreciate it. Thanks for listening, guys, um, and we'll talk to you in the next one.